iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho, and how are we feeling tonight? All right. That's what we're looking for. We're really excited about this event, so I won't take up too much of your time. Actually, we're really, really excited. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Kevin Spacey's actually just recently been nominated for a Golden Globe for the role he's here to talk about tonight. So, yeah. Yeah. This is really cool. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome tonight's guest, Kevin Spacey, and this evening's guest moderator, David Schwartz from the Museum of Moving Image. Thank you, everybody. Well, this is a great role. Um, this is a role that you are really able to sink your teeth into. I think it looks like you ha did have a lot of fun playing playing it. Tell us about Jack Abramoff because um, he is somebody that you actually got to meet and spend time with. Well, uh, for those who may not know the story, because I, I I don't assume that everybody followed uh, this particular story outside of the Beltway, but uh, he was a very very successful Republican lobbyist um, who started uh, in the Republican Party when he. Uh, ran the uh, young Republicans uh, in the state of Massachusetts. Um, and he went on to become, uh, uh, for a brief period of time, a Hollywood producer uh, and actually produced two rather cheesy Dolph Lundgren films. Uh, and, uh, and then he got in involved in, in politics um, and, and he became a lobbyist. And, and he uh, was probably the biggest, uh, loudest, most successful, made more money than anybody else, probably made more enemies as a result. Uh, and uh, then he got caught doing a lot of things he shouldn't have done, and he just recently, as of December 4th, was finally released from prison, and he's now a free man. Apparently he was working at a pizzeria till a few weeks ago. He right? was. He was working <laughs> at a kosher pizzeria in Maryland, uh, but I don't think he's doing that anymore. But you, um, you got to meet him, um, and, and in your process, as part of your process for preparing, you spent a few hours with him in prison? Yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Maryland Cumberland Prison, uh, and it was uh, a rather remarkable opportunity to meet somebody, first of all, in that circumstance, uh, and second of all, to uh, really just get a chance to meet the man himself. I, I, I hadn't done a lot of research about him or read a lot of things about the case until after I had the chance to meet him. And we spent about six hours together with uh, himself and my director, George Hickenlooper, who I should just mention uh, in case people don't know that George, who was a wonderful friend and a uh, really remarkable director, died suddenly last month while he was promoting this film. And um, so George had had the chance to meet with uh, Jack a few times before I did, and, and so we were there together. And it was a really great a chance for me to try to ask questions that gave me a, a, a lot of clues into his emotional terrain, uh, what was happening in his relationships and in his business and his reputation as all of the, this house of cards was starting to crumble. Um, and then I went out and I met a lot of lobbyists that he worked with, people that knew him, people that liked him, people that hated him. Uh, and then I, you know, Googled his name. And if you Googled the name Jack Abramoff, a whole lot of shit comes up. <laughs> uh, and so I then had a chance to look at what other people had been saying and the kind of commentary and news reporting that had gone on. And, and out of that, you take sort of all that evidence and um, what's true, what's not, what's myth, um, and try to sort it out in such a way that you can try to portray a person by putting yourself in their shoes and without making a judgment about them, allow an audience to be the ones that make a judgment. Because he, in a way, you can call him a villain or, villain or an anti-hero, but he's 
you have to make them sympathetic. You have to make them real and make them. Well, yeah, interested I, him. I also think that if, if you end up, I mean, he was really, for those of you who don't know, he was really vilified in the media and sort of made out to be the, the worst, most greedy, most horrible human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And yes, he did things wrong, and now he's paid for that. But there was also other sides to him, and that's, that's my job, is to try to unearth those other human qualities and, and, and try to humanize somebody who's been greatly dehumanized. So there's a lot of show business in Jack Abramoff, and apparently he's somebody who loved movies, spent a lot of time in Hollywood. Yeah, he did, and, and also the surprising thing I discovered about him was that he was rather well-known by his friends and associates for doing impressions of famous people. So I love doing that myself. So throughout the movie, I, I do impressions that he did. Uh, although he has, I have to uh, explain, he's expanded my repertoire because I never did Ronald Reagan before, and I'd never been called upon to do Dolph Lundgren. <clears throat> uh, and, uh, but then again, I, I gave him Bill Clinton and Walter Matthau, who he didn't do, so I, I've expanded his repertoire as well. <laughs> now you got, you're nominated um, for a Best Actor in a Comedy, but... I'd imagine that when you're doing the role, you don't think of it, or maybe this is not true, as comedy because you're playing a, a character you believe in. It's well, uh, what, what you have to be able to do as an actor is to understand the tone yeah. that you're trying to hit. And I, I think, I, if anyone remembers, I did a film in 2008 for HBO called Recount, which was the film about the 2000 election. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, you know, if you, if you tell people, hey, we're going to make a movie about an election or we're going to make a movie about a Washington lobbyist, you can kind of hear the yawning start across the nation. And so if you look at that film as a sort of template, I think that the outrageousness of characters, the over-the-top decisions, the circumstances that you can't quite believe, the shit you couldn't write, is inherently funny. Yeah. And George Hickenlooper and I both wanted very much to be able to embrace that tone because we felt maybe that's a way to A, make it a more entertaining film, but also you can, you can make the political points you want to make, uh, but do it with humor and do it with a, a, a slightly com comical tone. And so we were aware of what we were trying to do, um, and, and we had a ball doing it. Yeah, and sometimes the real story is so ludicrous. It's like when Stanley Kubrick made Dr. Strangelove, he realized he could only treat that subject as comedy. It's the only way to take it seriously. Yeah, exactly. And this, is, uh, this captures, this is a very timely movie. It really captures sort of how we got into this mess. It captures that whole period when there was just money flowing everywhere. Well, and uh, you know, I think maybe to some degree there is an impression that's left that when, you know, they take a man like Jack Abramoff and they wag their finger at him and they say, what a bad and horrible man you are and we're putting you in prison, that they're sending a signal that they've cleaned up the lobbying industry. And I think we just had an election where more money was spent than any other time in the history of this country. So I think they're kind of full of shit. Right. Well, the Supreme Court has now allowed corporations to spend yeah, no, as much money as yeah. they want. Corporations are now treated as individuals. So, you know, in, in, until you remove the money, you're, you're never going to remove the corruption. Uh, now, speaking of comedy, one of the great... This is a great ensemble cast. I mean, you're great in the film, but there's some uh, surprise performances, most especially... Um, John Lovitz. Right. A great comeback role for him and a surprising role for him. Uh, so tell us about the character he plays and how he was cast. Uh, and we'll John Lovitz plays a guy who's a real guy. You may remember um, uh, Quickie Mattress. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's the guy who started it, and so he used to do these commercials on television. Uh, I've known John for 25 years. I, was, I, I thought he was just perfect for this part. 
Uh, and he's a character that Abramov got involved with and asked, uh, Abramov asked him to go down and, and help him work out a deal with these uh, floating casinos down in Florida, which ultimately led to a murder and, and, uh, and lots of problems for Abramov. Uh, and Lovitz is just hilarious. He steals virtually every scene he's in, and uh, he just makes me laugh all the time. What was the atmosphere like on the set? I mean, you've got so many great actors and such high energy level. I mean, you maintain that energy throughout the whole film. Well, I, Barry Pepper was great to work with. I've always thought he was a really great actor. He hasn't really gotten uh, all the due that I think he deserves. Uh, Kelly Preston uh, was wonderful, played my wife, and we might see something uh, with her in a little while. Uh, the atmosphere was a, a really, uh, uh, it was a wonderful one in large measure because George Hickenlooper was like a kid, and he was, storytelling was his playground, and he, he had a fascination for American politics. He, he was... Uh, driven by it, he was fascinated by it, he was frustrated by it. Um, I don't know if people know that his uncle, uh, his uh, cousin is John Hickenlooper, who won the governorship in the state of uh, Colorado uh, on election night. And uh, George's enthusiasm, his, his giggle, which I'll, I'll never forget, he was always laughing off camera in the middle of scenes uh, if something amused him. Um, so I think in large measure because of George and his presence, it was a very, very pleasant Pleasant set. I think uh, something that you and him I feel have in common is that you only do movies that you really want to do. He didn't make a lot of movies, but um, and he would go from documentary to fiction. Um, he did the ones that really caught him. And you same with you. You spent a lot of time in, in theater now as, as with well, the Olympic yeah, Theater. I, I was going to say that really for the past seven or eight years, I, I've been living in London, running the Old Vic Theater, and so the films I've done in that time period have been limited, both in terms of the kind of time I had but also in terms of the size of the parts. I've really played a lot of cameo or, or supporting roles, and this is really one of the first uh, central roles that I've played. But, but, you know, we're up and running now at the Old Vic. It's our seventh season. Things are going rather well, so I'm starting to sort of sneak off and make a few more films. Okay, Thank so you, Old, theater people old in the Vickers. Audience. I rather like that. <laughs> the Old Vickers are here. So um, Kelly Preston plays Jack Abramoff's wife, and it's a real interesting role because she... In a way, maybe she's a surrogate for the audience. I mean, she realizes that what she's been married to, and she, and um, and they sort of stay together. They are still together. Uh, in yeah. fact, um, they had a great relationship. Uh, she stuck by him, uh, and she was never a Washington wife in the sense that she wasn't throwing lavish parties and going to lots of places. She she stayed home. She raised their kids. She was uh, very dedicated to that, and uh, somehow they managed to to forge through it and remain strong together. Uh, I'm just going to ask you one thing, then we'll open it up to the audience, but just how you deal with the sort of like moral quandaries, maybe, that playing a character who... You make him very sympathetic, but it's true that he, you know, from what I've read, really did some reprehensible things. I mean, um, <clears throat> bilking money from Indian reservations. So uh, do you, has that become a factor for you? Or? What I find... Um most comforting and most uh, illuminating about being an actor is that it's a very humanizing experience because when you are by your profession forced to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to try to examine their set of circumstances and to have some degree of empathy for them as a person um, it's very difficult to be prejudiced against them and so what I never do is I never judge the people I'm playing. I, I, my job is to play them, and it's an audience's decision uh, about how they feel about a character. And I think that one of the things I've been happy about in the screenings we've had so far and the reaction to the movie so far is that 
even if people have made a judgment about him, and particularly a negative judgment about him, they find themselves in the movie going, I like him, I don't like him, I like him, I don't like him. Oh, I like that, but that was bad. I, and I like the fact that that kind of involvement with an audience can occur in a film. It occurs all the time in theater, but it's, it's a wonderful relationship for an audience to, to, even against their better instincts, feel empathy toward a character they thought they might never feel that for. Yeah, and what's so smart about the film is that it shows that... It's, it's, that there's a whole system that needs to be questioned. The, the senators, the United States senators, don't come off too well <laughs> in this movie. No, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think he was part of a culture and an environment that, that still exists. So yeah. it's going to be up to the American public to probably fight to have that changed because I think if we leave campaign reform or, or lobbying reform in the hands of the politicians, I don't think much is going to change. Yeah. Okay, so let's open it up. Um, raise your hand um, and wait for the microphone to come around. Mr. Spacey, let me just say, you're one of my favorite actors. Uh, I just uh, was wondering, out of all your films, which one is like your favorite? You know, which, uh, which one did you have the most fun making? Um, I, loved, I loved, loved making American Beauty because it was an extraordinary director who knew exactly what he wanted, <clears throat> a great cinematographer and a remarkable cast. And, and it was just one of those experiences where it was such a great environment on set. Uh, you know, but every movie has, uh, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate. I, I, I've, I've worked with some incredible people and I've had really remarkable experiences. But I always like to hope that the best film I've done is ahead of me and not behind me. Are you, aren't you doing a play with Sam Mendes? I am. Sam Mendes and I are uh, coming back to work together for the first time next spring. He's going to direct me in the theater as Richard III, uh, which we will start at the Old Vic and we'll come here to the Brooklyn Academy of Music in uh, January of 2012. Wow. And I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm wondering, since you say that Jack Abramoff loves the movies so much, what was his involvement other than just coaching you? And uh, he didn't have any official involvement in the film uh, itself in terms of like script approval or getting paid or anything like that. He, I, I viewed him, uh, I think probably the same way George Hickenlooper viewed him, was that he was a source. He wasn't the source, but he was a source. And it was, I actually think, George told me that when he first went to meet Abramoff, Abramoff spent the first meeting trying to convince him not to make the movie. <laughs> and then when he realized that he was going to make the movie, it was going to get made, he, I think he decided it was probably in his best interest to at least participate in conversations and be as helpful as he could. And I think in large measure because he was probably worried that we were going to do to him what a lot of things had happened to him in the press, which was just to make him out to be a, a horrible, horrible human being. And, and I just you know, thought, that well, that would be interesting for about 10 seconds. So, uh, but he had no official involvement in, in the making of the movie. A quick question about sources. I understand that Facebook, um, that George Hickenlooper, who had a Facebook page, there were people coming to him uh, through Facebook who were involved in the story. Oh, yeah. George, George was very active on Facebook. Uh, and in fact, it's one of the ways I, I found out that George wanted me to play this part was that he posted on his Facebook page that he wanted me to play this role. And then we got a hold of him. And, and before you know it, I, I, he was in London and we were talking about making the movie. Um, but right up until the week that George passed away, he was in Austin. And you should have seen his Facebook uh, page that week. He was so excited about the reaction the film got yeah. in Austin. And, and, and he was on his way to Denver. Yeah. Over here. Uh, hi. Um, 
you've worked with a large variety of directors over the years, and as a director yourself, I wanted to ask you um, what about the relationship between an actor and a director? What do you like getting from a, from a director? What don't you like getting from a director? How, what's the best um, working environment for you? The best environment for me, and I try to do it every time out, is to, is to trust. Because I long ago recognized and accepted that movies are not the actor's medium. They are the director's medium. They are the editor's medium. And my job is to try to give the editor and the director as many choices as I can so that when they go to put the movie together and go to craft the performance in terms of how it, it's going to arc, I give them, let, let's say a movie like this where we're trying to set a tone that's humorous but you also want it to get frenetic and you want it to reach certain levels. So when you're shooting a scene, you might start here and do two takes where you're playing it at this level. And then you might go here. And then you might go there in terms of intensity or comic timing or punch or energy. So that then when the director goes into editing, he has now a way to build the entire film through a series of choices. And ultimately, it's going to be the director that's going to decide how that arc and how that character evolves. In the theater, which is the actor's medium, it's entirely up to the performer about how that performance evolves. You are in total and absolute control. And in a movie, you have no control. <laughs> now, what's great, when you have a great relationship with the director and you actually do trust them, as I did with George, um, you're a part of that process. I also produced the film through my company, so George and I had a really great relationship th all through editing. But sometimes you can give that same degree of trust to a director and that same degree of choices, and you go and see a cut of the movie, and they've used all the really crappy stuff. And they've cut it together in such a way that it's either overly sentimental or it doesn't have the edge that you were looking for. And sometimes you say, this isn't working, we're going to get killed. And then you hear, oh, but we tested it in Burbank, and it, the numbers were really high. Uh, and you go, I don't care that you tested it in Burbank, we're going to get killed. And then they don't change it because they had a good test screening, and then the movie opens, and, and you get killed. <laughs> we have one right over here. You said something really interesting about meeting with Jack Abramoff and saying how he was a source for you, but not the source. Um, how much do you really take when you're portraying a character from the actual person you're portraying or for how they're portrayed in the media? Um, well, in, in his case, I, I figured because there was so much stuff that was out there and that had been, uh, you know, there's a lot of facts I could go out and find out. I also knew I was going to be spending a number of days in Washington, D.C., meeting people who knew him, who were on his team. I was going to meet his family. I was going to, there were a lot of other sources. So even if he may have had his own agenda or his own ways of wanting to say things or things he didn't want to reveal, that was going to be fine because I wasn't using him as a sole source. I was using him as, as, as I said, a source. And then I suppose I could put it this way. Being an actor is a little bit like being a detective, you know? You've got to sift through what sometimes are false clues and sometimes are myths and sometimes are, oh, that actually is true. And if that's true and he said that or he believes that, then that's a contradiction and that's interesting. And how do you bring that contradiction to 
light. Um, how do you play two levels if someone is not just one thing? And of course, none of us are. Um, that's sort of the interesting thing about sifting through. And then with a director and your fellow actors, you're making choices on the set. You're trying to decide, is this the right thing? I mean, actually, uh, one of the scenes we just watched, the, the scene in the, in the bathroom mirror, that scene didn't exist when we started shooting the film. And we were about halfway through shooting, and I was doing a series of scenes over a number of days where things were happening to Abramoff, and he was, the house of cards was starting to crumble. And I said to George, I feel like we don't have a scene where he defends himself. I mean, we have a, a scene between Kelly Preston and myself, but the veil comes down. And, and we have another scene that happens in, in the Senate hearing, but it's, it's a, he doesn't defend himself, he takes the fifth. I said, I wish we had a scene where we really f saw him, I mean, whether it's him rehearsing or getting ready to talk to his law firm or something. So we wrote that scene and we shot it in two takes. And the take that is in the movie was the, actually the first take. And then we finished the movie and George sent me the first cut. And that scene played about 132 minutes into the movie, which is kind of where we thought it would go. But I called George after I watched it and I said, look, there's a lot about the movie I really like and we're really on the right road. I said, but my fundamental problem with the film is how it starts. Because unlike Recount, which started with a voter in a voting booth on voting day, which is the event of that film, I said, we don't have the luxury in this movie of having an event. I said, he's the event. So I know this is gonna sound really crazy and slightly bold, but would you consider taking that scene in the bathroom and starting the film with it? Hmm. And so that scene is actually the very first scene in the film. And George tried it and he loved it and that's how it's ended up. But that's just an example of how in, in films, you sometimes have no idea where something's gonna end up playing that actually helps the story because I felt that gave the audience who Abramoff was in the first four minutes of the film and then you know you're off to the races. Over here. Um, I know someone already asked like what your most rewarding set to work on was, but I, I was just wondering what your most challenging role to assume was. My most challenging role? I think I'm about to do it with Richard III. <laughs> it's the second longest role in Shakespeare after Hamlet. Uh, it's my second leading role in which I've ever played uh, Shakespeare, like really doing Shakespeare in a play. I did Richard II three seasons ago at the Old Vic. Um, and uh, it's very exciting and very daunting and very terrifying. I think I already may have said that. Let me say that again. I'm fucking terrified. And, um, <laughs> and yet, I'm also quite excited because I trust Sam so much. He has, for those of you who don't know, this, this uh, project that we're doing, uh, Richard III, within, although it's an old Vic production, is uh, we, we, Sam and I created a transatlantic theater company called The Bridge Project. And that means that it's, 50% American actors, 50% British actors, doing great, big, epic, classic work. And over the past two seasons, Sam has directed four productions for us, two in rep every year. We did The Winter's Tale, uh, As You Like It, The uh, Tempest, and The Cherry Orchard. And Sam is a remarkable director, and he works incredibly well with actors. So I'm very excited, but it is ahead of me, not behind me. Damn it, damn it. <laughs> I have one over here. Uh, I just want to let you know, you, I love your work. I'm sure everyone here loves your work. You're honestly the, one of the best actors of our time, or at least mine. Or, but I just want to let you know, um, 
or ask, uh, what role did you ever want to tackle? Something that you really wanted? Maybe something that you've heard about five, ten years ago? Something that you wanted to do, personally? And maybe in the future you will. Uh, a role I didn't get, you mean? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Tom Hanks has had a lot of good parts, and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, it's a good, it's a good question, but the funny thing is, is I, maybe it's because of the position I found myself in at the Old Vic, where I, I'm the artistic director, so I have to run a season of plays. We're in our seventh year of work. We've now done 38 productions, and you know, as the artistic director, even though I'm an actor, I can't take all the good parts. <clears throat> I got to sort of spread them around. So I've only done seven of those productions as an actor. But what I find most interesting in that position is not that I covet parts or oh, I've got to play this role. What I find most interesting is when I listen to directors who come to me and say, I want to see you do this. Like I would have never thought of doing Richard II on my own, but it was Trevor Nunn who used to run the Royal Shakespeare Company and is a remarkable, great, great director who, who felt that role was a very interesting, very challenging role and we had lots of discussions about it until we ultimately decided that was what we were going to do. But I don't really have, if I don't play this part at some point in my life, I'm, I'm not, you know, I just don't covet parts. I love, I love to discover what I might want to do. There's a dog here. I have to say hello. <clears throat> Who's that? Hi. Hi. Come here. Do you have a question? <laughs> How cute are you? Very sweet. Hi. Good boy. Here's a good situation. Say hello. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Dogs. I'm, I'm crazy for dogs. Sorry. That'll be great on the podcast. <laughs> All right. We have enough time for two more questions. Two more questions. We okay. have one over here to your far left, right here. Hi, Kevin. I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the work on uh, The Immediate Suspect, and how did you prepare for the role of Geyser Souza? Uh, did everybody hear that question? Uh, how did I prepare for The Usual Suspects? Um, that was a, uh, an incredible opportunity. I, I, had, um, I had met Brian Singer and Chris McQuarrie, who wrote that screenplay, at a screening of a film they made together. And um, I just thought they were genuine filmmakers. I knew it sort of right away. And I said to them, hey, you know, if you guys ever have a movie, because I was really starting out uh, my career in film. And uh, they said, well, it's funny, because we're actually we kind of writing something with you in mind because they had seen me do a television series called Wise Guy, which I'd done seven episodes of and played this really crazy character. Um, and then about eight months later, I get this script um, and uh, completely didn't understand it when I first read it. Uh, I had to read it again. Um, and then Brian and I met and we talked and I was so uh, surprised and, and honored. It had been the first time in my life anybody had ever written something with me in mind. Um, and really the preparation was, again, uh, like before, complete and total trust. Um, it was the first movie where I didn't go to dailies. I didn't go look at the film that we were making every day. Brian said, I just need you to trust me. I, I need you to not second guess because you have to play something over playing something over playing something. And um, so I just completely put myself in Brian's hands. Um, I met with a couple of doctors uh, in order to understand the cerebral palsy and how that can affect uh, uh, different patients. Um, and then I just trusted Brian, really. 
straight ahead right over here. Oh, Kevin, uh, are there any movies that you passed on that you regret? And also, what are some of Kevin Spacey's favorite movie quotes? <laughs> um, <clears throat> no one puts baby in the corner. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, look. Uh, yeah, there's movies I've turned down, but, but if those movies worked and if the actor who played that role was right, then I'm, I'm incredibly happy. Uh, my life changed a lot when I moved to London and, and started the Old Vic Theatre because m my time had to be dedicated to the building of a theatre company. And so I just haven't had the kind of opportunity to, to do as many movies as I, as I did sort of a decade ago. But it, it also, I have to say, has been the best decision uh, uh, I've ever made. But I don't really, uh, I don't really have a, oh God, gee, wish, I wish I'd done that movie, I wish I hadn't turned that down. The things I've turned down, I turned down because it wasn't right for me to do, or, or, or I wasn't available to do it, and I wasn't willing to change what I had committed myself to doing. Because once I make a commitment, I, I, I make a commitment. Um, and I'm, by the way, also uh, very grateful for actors who turned down parts that I then got offered. Um, I, I just really, I, I have no problem being seventh choice at all. No problem at all. <laughs> um, one last question. You, you have a production company called Trigger Street Films, and you have a movie out now that's doing pretty well called The Social Network. Mm. That you, so could you talk about how you got in, like, decided that would make a good movie? Uh, I really have to credit my producing partner, uh, a guy named Dana Brunetti, uh, who runs Trigger Street Productions. Uh, we have had a great relationship with Ben Mesrick. Ben Mesrick wrote a book called Bring It Down the House, which we made into a film called 21. And Ben came to Dana uh, and I uh, a number of years ago, uh, probably more than three years ago now, maybe four, and said he had an idea about wanting to write a book about how Facebook happened. Uh, which he ultimately did called Accidental Billionaires. Now, at the time, Dana's and my reaction was, like, a movie about Facebook? Like, what would that be? But we didn't know, and we didn't find out until a little bit later, that, in fact, the story had all of the hallmarks of what makes great drama. It was about friendship and betrayal and invention and power. And when you have all those elements going for you, um, you can tell a really compelling story. And we also really felt it was a story for its time, but, but that also maybe it could be timeless because it was about so many things that has changed and revolutionized so many people's lives. Um, we were going to hold on it until the book was done, but what happened was the book proposal leaked in 08. So we took the book proposal to Sony Pictures, who we had done 21 with, uh, through our partner Mike DeLuca, and Sony, much to my delight, because they're not known for making movies that are essentially people talking in rooms. Um, you know, there's no explosions, there's no car chases, there's no gunshots, there's no real sex. Um, it's a movie about relationships. Um, they jumped on board. We were incredibly fortunate to get Aaron Sorkin to come uh, and find a way to structure the screenplay, uh, and then to get David Fincher uh, to come on board and direct. It's a remarkable team. It's just one of those extraordinary experiences where all the elements came together. Uh, and um, I'm executive producer on the film, but Dana is the producer, and Scott Rudin and, and Mike DeLuca, they all did an incredible job, and, and we're, uh, we're very excited about the re reaction it's had by the public, and, and, uh, and it also received six Golden Globe nominations uh, two days ago, so we're very okay. proud of it.
Well, good luck. Um, good luck with the award season, and really good luck with Richard. Don't be worried about Thank it. You. I think Thank you'll do you. fine. Thank you all for coming out. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Kevin Spacey, ladies and gentlemen. The film Casino Jack opens today in L.A. and New York. Of course, don't forget about the Meet the Filmmaker podcast. It will be available soon. This evening's there. Don't forget to check out the other ones. Absolutely free. And, of course, how could we forget? Apple.com forward slash Soho for all your upcoming event needs. Thank you so much, guys. Have a wonderful rest of the year and a wonderful weekend. <laughs>